Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caitlin. May be seated. All right. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we have heard your word read. We have sung praises to you. We have offered prayers to you. And now, Lord, we pause and open our hearts to your preached word, that you would speak to us through your word, that, Jesus, we would see and behold you, that we would be changed. Would you come and meet us in the power of your spirit? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, a question to get us started here, and if you're new here, um, I like to start with a question for our young people. And just a reminder that as a church, uh, we really enjoy having children in our service. They're not a distraction or a hindrance. They're actually a part of the body of Christ, and we want them to grow up always knowing and feeling that, that they are a part of the body of Christ. They are a part of the church. So here's our question to get us started here. Kids, have you ever felt overwhelmed by too much to do or too much going on? Levi, okay. You have chores. Yeah. Those can be overwhelming, right? Just the Dupree house. So, so many burdens around there on the chores, right? <laughs> My kids can relate to that, I'm sure. Any others? You ever felt like, I've just got way too much going on and I'm overwhelmed? Yes. Yes. So life feels a little crazy here. You know, for my kids, the, the more frequent complaint is not being too busy, but being too bored. I don't know if you ever hear this. But of course, you know, as you get older, that remedies pretty quick, doesn't it? I don't even know if I can remember being bored. You know, we had a very interesting spring in our family. We, we got to that place where the busyness and the pace of our life was overwhelming, and you can even see it in our kids. Uh, I mean, one of my kids turned to me one day in the midst of, and, and just the reality for us, the busy, most of the busyness was coming from sports. Okay, just an admission there. And one of my kids turned to me and he said, Dad, I just don't know if I can keep up this pace any longer. I thought, wow, that's not a thing a kid should say, right? But we all know this reality of busyness. Now, here we are in the summer, right? This is a time, this is supposed to be a time for rest. And we're starting a new sermon series today on rest. Talking about rest. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a great deal about rest. In fact, God commands rest. What kind of a God commands rest? And what kind of a people struggle so much to rest? But we're going to talk about rest. And in talking about rest, we've got to talk about what are the barriers to rest. We're going to talk about our busyness. Now, busyness is not something that for you maybe seems like a negative thing. 
what is it that we always say, you know, when you go through the kind of small talk and you say, hey, how have you been lately? What do we all answer all the time? Busy. I've been busy. And that doesn't feel like a bad thing, if we're honest, right? It kind of feels good. It kind of feels important. It feels like, wow, I got things to do. I got people depending on me. I got all this stuff that I'm having to keep going. I'm important. I have value, right? Busyness for most of us can feel like righteousness. It can feel good. It can feel alive. But in fact, it can be an enormous barrier to our spiritual health. Hear what uh, Dallas Willard says, where he says, hurry, just another word for busyness, hurry is a state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. We wouldn't always identify our hurry and our busyness as coming from a place of deep inadequacy, of coming from a place of guilt. But what I love about Dallas's words is that they help us to look a little bit beneath all of our activity, all of our frenzy, and say, maybe there's something going on underneath this. Maybe there's a problem in my spiritual life that's underneath all of the hurry and all of the busyness. And he goes on to say this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Does that seem like an overstatement? Hurry and busyness is the great enemy to spiritual life in our day. You know, I would bet that for most of us, that's a surprising thing to hear. But we're going to talk about that. And it's even harder because we find ourselves in a culture that is constantly pressing busyness on us. It's pressing more stuff and more activity. In fact, we live in a culture, and we talk about this a lot, that we are in a very materialistic and consumeristic culture, which means we're constantly getting this message in our culture that what will fulfill you and make you happy is to have more stuff or to have more experiences or to take more trips or to buy or consume more things. I mean, it's literally in the air that we breathe in our culture. And the more stuff you have, well, the busier you are. Because you've got to keep up with it. Because stuff breaks. And you've got to worry about it. You've got to keep you up at night. And the biggest uh, thing that our culture pushes on us is technology. You know, it's this big promise that technology will free us. It will simplify our life. It will make things easier. But it doesn't. You know, this, this little beauty right here, I even carry it up here while I'm preaching. It just feels good to have it in my pocket. You know what? A recent study just found that the average iPhone user touches their iPhone 2,617 times a day. Now, I'd love to say, man, you're crazy. I don't do anything like that. I don't know that I'm too far out of the average. Maybe you're not either. See, what all of this does is it distracts us. It divides us. It disconnects us. You see, busyness and hurry and distraction, it disconnects us from ourselves. You know, in a season of busyness, especially the one I'm coming out of, it's like, I don't even know what I feel. I don't even know what's going on in my heart. I don't even know what's going on in the hearts of the people around me. It disconnects us from one another. Ultimately, it disconnects us from God. And that is the danger of busyness and hurry. 
So this is what we're going to talk about in our sermon series. And today, as we come to our passage, we're going to talk about where do we find freedom from this? Where do we find ultimate rest? Because that's what we're longing for. Where do we find soul rest? So let's look at our passage here. Just three verses here. But an amazing invitation from Jesus to us. Look with me at verse 28 where Jesus says this. Come to me. This is an invitation. This is Jesus' words to you. To me. Hear it in that way. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So one interesting thing to note right off the bat is that Jesus is not inviting people who have it all together. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, you who have the well-ordered life. Come to me, you who've got it all figured out. Whoever, all your ducks are in a row. You're managing life well. Nothing's chaotic in your life. You who are just, you know, winning at life. That's who I'm inviting. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, you who are struggling. Come to me, you who are broken down on the wheels of life. Come to me, you who are, two words, weary. What does it mean to be weary? Weary means to be and exhausted and burned out. Can you relate to that in life? Can you relate to that feeling of just being like, oh, how do I get off of this merry-go-round that just will not stop? And secondly, burdened. Some of our translations say heavy laden. You know, burden is a weight. And so to be burdened is to be weighed down By carrying some weight in our life. Something that's too heavy to carry. Something that we are not meant to carry on our own. But yet this reality that we all know. The reality of burden. There's so many things that make us feel burdened in life. You know, sometimes it's guilt. Sometimes it's a burden over something we've done or something in our past. Sometimes that burden is a responsibility that we're taking in our life. And oftentimes it's how we're carrying the things in our life. If you're anything like me, I tend to carry things in my life as if it's all up to me. It's very, very heavy. But so often in life, we're taking more responsibilities in on to our life than we can possibly manage and carry. The reality is, we all have a limited amount of capacity in our life. And yet so often, we find ourselves pushing that limit and taking more responsibilities on ourselves than we can possibly carry. For some of us it's debt. For some of us it's things. That we worry about. Things that we fear in life. Here's the encouraging thing. Jesus speaks to us. In the midst of those struggles. And he says you. I see you. I know where you live. I know your address. I know the reality of your life. I know the things that are too heavy for you to carry. The things that feel like they're crushing you. I see you. And I invite you to come to me. Because Jesus offers and promises rest. As he says in the next verse, soul rest. 
Not just the kind of rest that, you know, all those wonderful commercials that show you that beautiful vacation and experience. You know, I just got to do this great trip and it was wonderful and it was amazing. But you know, the reality is it doesn't give me ultimate soul rest. And the perfect vacation or the perfect experience or that next toy, whatever you are chasing after in your life, it will not deliver ultimate rest. In fact, that's our tendency in life. Is in our weariness and our burden, our tendency is to chase after rest, ultimate soul rest in the things of this life. And for some of us, it's things that we want to run to. It's escape. It's Netflix. It's scrolling through social media. I find myself just mindlessly, you know, whenever I'm whenever I begin to feel boredom or discomfort in some way or tiredness in some way, I just find myself wanting to pull my phone out and let, let me just scroll something here. Just a little moment of escape. What is it for you? Maybe it's a couple glasses of wine. Maybe it's, maybe it's even pornography. Maybe it's something that you're running to a habit in your life. See, we have this tendency to chase rest and created things. But the reality is, they will always leave you fundamentally restless. Because they can't deliver. You see, Jesus is here inviting us to Himself and saying, I will give you rest. Soul rest. Deep in your bones. He is the only source of ultimate rest. So here's the second question to ask of our passage here. What does it mean to come to Him? Where do we find that rest? And what does it mean? What does Jesus mean by this invitation of come to me? And we see that clarification in the very next verse. Look at what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. What does Jesus mean whenever he says come to me? In verse 29 he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. You see it's an expansion. Of what he said is in the previous verse. He is clarifying. Take my yoke upon you. What does it mean to take Jesus' yoke upon you? Well a yoke. You know we don't use this word a whole lot. But it was very familiar in Jesus' day. A yoke was a piece of farm equipment. It was, a, it was a thing that would tie two oxen together. So that they would pull a load together. But in Jesus' day it was a metaphor. It was a metaphor for coming under the teaching of a rabbi. To take on the yoke of a teacher. That's what rabbi meant. It meant teacher. A spiritual teacher. To take on their yoke meant to take on their teaching. It meant to become a follower of them. It meant to weave your life with them. And to learn from them. How to become human. How to apply their teaching in your life. This is just another way of understanding what it means to be a disciple. We talk about this a lot. You know, in our culture, especially in the Bible Belt, as we think about what it means to be a Christian, so often what we, what we tend to think is that it means I'm someone who believes a certain set of facts, or I'm someone who has made a certain decision in my life. You know, I've prayed a prayer, I've walked an aisle, you know, I'm, I'm, and we, we tend to think that's what the Christian life means. Have you made this decision, and are you now saved? And now that's important stuff. But the problem is we reduce Christianity simply to some decision that we make in our life. When the emphasis by Jesus in the entire scriptures is on discipleship. 
That was predominantly the word that was used to describe Jesus' followers. Not Christian, only used a few times in the New Testament. But disciple was used hundreds of times. What is a disciple? The best image to understand that is an apprentice. Maybe we know what an apprentice is. We seem, maybe you've been an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who comes alongside a master to learn a particular craft. And the essence of that is relationship. You're with the master. You're watching the master do his thing. Whether it's building something or creating something. You're with them. You're watching. It's relational. But you're learning to take on their way of doing that craft in your life. It's, it's them imparting their life upon you. But yet you applying their way of doing this thing. That is discipleship. That is what Jesus calls to calls us to, that we would come to follow him, that we would know him relationally, but that we would learn to do his craft, which is life, which is being human, in the specific way that Jesus lived and taught. It is all about learning the way of Jesus. Here's Dallas Willard's description of what a disciple is. He says that a disciple is someone who is learning to live their life as Jesus would live their life, If Jesus were living their life. Do you get that? It's learning to live your life. With Jesus. In relationship with Jesus. As Jesus would live your life. If he was living your life. In other words. I'm not living some other life. I'm not primarily asking. What would Jesus do here? I'm asking. What would Jesus do? If he were me in this place in my life. Do you see that difference? It's not calling to some other life, but it's calling me right where I am to say, as a mom, how does Jesus call me to be a mother? As a father, with my particular set of children, how's Jesus calling me? What is the Jesus way to father my children? If I'm a builder, how would Jesus go about this? If I'm a teacher, how would Jesus go about this? I'm learning to take His teaching, His way, His yoke, upon myself and live my life in the way that he would live my life i'm applying his teaching to my life not just about believing a certain set of facts it is learning to walk in the way of jesus this is what it means to take on his yoke now there's two things he tells us that are unique about his particular yoke the first is who he is Again, in that verse, he says, For I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus describes himself in this way. He's describing his heart to us and he says, I'm gentle. Is that how you view Jesus? That he is so incredibly gentle. And he says, I'm lowly in heart or I'm humble in heart. What does he mean by that? He is approachable. Jesus is the most approachable person in all the universe. And in the face of our struggles and our failures and all of those things, He is gentle with us. He is patient. He is inviting. He is approachable. When you blow it, He doesn't beat you up. He receives you. How inviting of a rabbi is that? That whenever I'm learning the way of Jesus, He is not harsh with me. He meets me right where I am. He encourages me. He strengthens me. I blow it and He says, okay, let's try again. 
Do you see the goodness of his heart that invites us into this discipleship? But he shares a second thing for us, and that is, verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Now, I'm not sure if that's how we think of the way of Jesus. I'm not sure if we think of obedience to Jesus as easy and light. Now, he doesn't mean trouble free. Jesus is very clear about that. I mean, over and over, he says, you know what? Don't be so quick to say you want to follow me, because if you're going to follow me, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be persecuted. He was very, very clear about that. He's not saying there's no cost to this thing. In fact, the cost is high. But what he's saying is, it's easy in the sense that it is free. You see, Jesus would say, the way that we naturally tend to do life, as if it's all up to us, as if we got to please everybody, as if we got to keep all the world working through our own strength, we got to carry everything on our own shoulders. Jesus would look at our way of living, our natural default way of living, and say, that's hard. That's the hard way. That's the burdening way. But my yoke, my yoke is easy. In fact, this is what we were made for. You see, the teaching of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the kind of life and heart posture that he calls us into, Jesus would say, you were made for this. This this is freeing. This lifts burdens in your life. Jesus says, I'm not here to put burdens on you. I'm here to lift them. And the way to do that is to take on my yoke. To learn my way. To bring my way into your life. So what is the easy yoke? Well, it's the whole teaching of Jesus. But I want to just take two basic fundamental parts of the essence of the teaching of Jesus. Okay? I want to talk about His dependence on the Father and talk about His love for people. First is dependence on the Father. You know, if you come to the Scriptures and you get to know Jesus and you look at His words and you look at His life, One of the main things that jumps out is his utter dependence on the Father. Constantly. He's constantly saying that. I and the Father are one. I'm not saying anything but what my Father is saying to me. I'm, I'm here to do the will of my Father in heaven. He was surrendered to the Father. And why was he so surrendered to the Father? Because he believed and was convinced that the Father's heart for him was good. He trusted the Father in the face of everything. Now Jesus had to walk through some hard stuff, right? He, he, was, he was hated. He was hunted down. He was persecuted. He was ultimately crucified. Hard things came into his life. But if you will watch him in the midst of all of those things, in the moments that were so incredibly hard, what did he cling to? He clung to the fact that my father's heart for me is good. I can trust him. The hard things that he came into his life, Jesus saw those circumstances in his life and he knew that ultimately the father was in control of those situations and yet he was bringing about his good. Jesus was always leaving the crowd and the ministry and the pressures and the burdens. Now Jesus was, he had a lot going on in his life, but his soul wasn't busy. It's amazing to watch Jesus that at key times, you know, the disciples were, they were pretty busy, right, in heart. I mean, they were all concerned about, let's, 
Let's get this ministry going. Let's, hey, the crowds are finally coming. You know, they loved a big crowd. And Jesus, just right there at the big moment, would just, he's out. I need to go be with my father. I mean, he'd just pull away from all the action. I mean, we'd sit there and say, man, the whole thing's going to fall apart. What are you doing? It's all up to you. They're all finally here. I mean, this whole ministry is going to fall apart. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's okay. I need to go be with the father. Because you see, my dependence is on him. This is not all on my shoulders. It's in his hands. You see how that fundamentally just gave him a peace and a freedom that carried him throughout his life. His, His identity was not in the successes in his life and the accomplishments in his life. His identity was in the Father. That is the deepest part of the teaching of Jesus. A deep Surrender to the heart of Jesus. But then also his love for people. Now that jumps out about Jesus. You know one little experiment you could have. Is read through the gospels. And see how many times it talks about Jesus. Seeing people. It's amazing. Like seeing specific people. He saw people. I mean in the midst of all that activity going on. And everything going on. You know Jesus might be in a crowd of thousand people. And he would see one person. He would see one person and he would move towards them. It was amazing how you could interrupt Jesus. Right? You could interrupt him. And you'd have his attention. And he would see you. It's kind of hard to interrupt us, right? What happens when somebody interrupts you? And the busier you are, the worse it is. When I got a lot going on and somebody interrupts me, I'm irritated. Now, I might be real nice and not let it show. But on the inside, I'm like, I got things to do. And that list is just building up. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He saw people. He moved towards them. He was moved by people. His heart was affected by people. You cannot be affected if you are so busy and disconnected from yourself and God. You can't. You just can't do it because you're just getting stuff done. But Jesus, He loved people. He, he was moved towards people, but yet at the same time, as deeply as he loved people, he wasn't controlled by the opinions of people. Can you just imagine that? Jesus was not a people pleaser. Right? He loved people, but was not controlled by their opinions of him, which is actually really love. You know, sometimes, I mean, and really, if we're going to talk about busyness, a lot of the heart of our busyness and taking too much on in our life is because we, we can't say no, right? Let's just be honest. I can't say no. Let me just start there. I'm horrible at this. Why can't I say no? Because I'm afraid of disappointing people. Even whenever I know I should not do this. Even whenever I know to say yes will actually cost other things that are better. Yet still, I'm going to say yes. Why do I say yes? Because I'm controlled by the opinions of other people. Guess what? That looks like love. Kind of. It's not. It's self-love is what it is. It's self-love. But Jesus, he didn't have that disease because he loved people. His security was not in the opinions and approval of people. It was in the approval of the Father. And because of that deep security in his soul, he could move towards people. He could live generously to people. In fact, that's the heart of the teaching of the way of Jesus. To live in such a way that your life flows in generosity. 
You can't do that if you're busy. That is the way of Jesus. And it is the easy way. That's what Jesus is saying. I mean, the question is, will we believe that? Because it's hard to believe, right? And if we think about our life and we think about what compels us so often, that's scary. You know, as I think about Jesus' invitation to say, come and take my yoke upon you and learn my easy way with me. When I hear that and I understand what it means, there's a part of me that longs for that freedom. Do you long for that freedom? Do you long to like be so dependent on the goodness of the Father's heart that you don't worry? Do you know Jesus actually talked a ton about worry and fear? Did you know that the number one command of the Bible, the most frequent command of the Bible, is do not fear? What do you think He knows about us? What's, our, what's one of our greatest struggles? To fear. Can you imagine the freedom of being free from fear? That's appealing to me. I want that. But let me be honest. I am afraid at the same time. I am afraid of the cost. Because I know. I mean really we know. That to do this. You have to surrender to Jesus. You got to surrender control. You know you don't, you don't come to Jesus the rabbi and say. Yeah, I'll take some things and, you know, I'm going to hold on to this part of my life. You just can't do that. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to lose your life. you got to let go of control. That, that's really the heart of it. But Jesus promises there's freedom there. But I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of losing control. I'm afraid of just letting go of what people think of me. I want it, but I'm afraid of it. Can you relate? Are you there today? You know, really, at some point, we got to come to this invitation. I, I think this is where it boils down. And Jesus says, will you come and come under my yoke? It's okay to fail, because we will fail. And Jesus is there with his gentleness and grace. But the question for us is, do you want this? Are you willing to come under his yoke? Our application today is we get to come to the table. We're celebrating communion today. And as we come to this table, really it is a table of surrender and repentance and faith, believing in what Jesus promises. So it's an opportunity to, to, to answer the invitation. So as we come to the table, we always come with confession. Where we start and we say, you know what? My heart is running after all kinds of other different things. That's what I'm confessing. You know, I, I want to be in control. I want to live for the approval of other people. But Jesus, you're calling me to this and I want this. I want this. And I want to choose to believe your way is the easy and freeing way. And we come to this table and we feast upon Jesus by faith. We find rest at this table. It's a communion table because here we encounter Jesus. It's not just a remembrance. At the communion table, we are remembering, yes, the death and the resurrection of Jesus that has set us free from our sin. But yet also at the communion table, we are encountering Jesus. And He is giving rest to our soul. So that's our invitation. That's our response to our passage.
So let's begin with a prayer of confession together. So we're going to read this prayer of confession together. And I want to encourage you, make this prayer the prayer of your heart. We're not just going to read through this, but let it really be the offering and the prayer of your heart. And then I'll give us a few moments to confess silently to the Lord. And then we'll come to the communion table together. Okay, let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been Help us change what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Take a few moments to confess silently your sin to the Lord. Father, we do confess that we long for the kind of freedom that you offer, the kind of rest that you offer, but at the same time, our hearts are so tightly gripping the control, the strategies of escape and rest that we have created in our life. But Lord Jesus, we want to be free. We want to come under your yoke. We want to know your freedom. Lord, we confess our sin to you. We confess our running after other things, our idolatry. We confess failing to love in the way that you have called us to love. But we pray that by the power of your blood that you would wash us clean and renew us in the power of your Holy Spirit that we may walk in newness of life and know the freedom that comes in union with Jesus alone. Come and work in us what is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now hear this assurance of pardon from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is His body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Amen.